Hey, this is Jordan Sutton, pastor at Clearpath Church. Thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. We appreciate you listening. A little about our community. We love to come together. We love to come to the Lord's table together. Uh, we're a community trying to be led by the Spirit, just walking through Scripture together, walking through life together. If this message is an encouragement to you, bring some hope to your life at the end of the sermon. There'll be a little bit of information about how you can get in touch with us. Stay tuned, and thanks for joining. I'm going to be thankful for the work of Jesus in our lives. I'm going to pray over us. Lord, we love you. We thank you, God. We bless you. We pray that a spirit of wisdom and revelation would be present, that your work may dwell richly, God. Um, that there would be a knowing of you, a knowing of who we're called to be, a knowing of the hope that you have for us, a knowing all that you've given us, Lord, in Jesus' name. God, we bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Let's give the worship team a hand. How many of you enjoying this weather? It's been wonderful. As seasons change, and the air seasons also change uh, with the, our church calendar and what's going on, I want to make a couple of really important mentions. The one thing that we want to make really, really, really strong mention of is that we have our pastoral communities that will be starting. Um, those of you who've been here for a while, we previously called those uh, house churches or house church and um, just to clarify some things and make the, the way we're naming them more clear, we changed the name. Um, those will start, and they will go every week. They'll start the week of February the 17th, and those will go every week for the next few months, and then we'll have some gathering points throughout the year. This is a, probably the, the most, this is the easiest, kind of most kind of clear way in our community to, kind of go deeper with people. Um, we start every year at this time, uh, and we go through during the time of Lent. We cover all the foundational stories of Jesus um, leading up to Easter. And then Easter, leading up to Pentecost, we, we um, cover what the life of the church looks like in the spirit. And so this is a way for us as a community with our kids' ministry, with these groups, to be able to come back to teaching the foundational stories of, of Scripture, which um, I believe that if you're going to if you're going to preach the gospel as a community, you have to start with the life, the ministry, the death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so we we try to make a preeminent emphasis of this um, every year. And these groups would gather together, obviously in in the hope that there will be pastoring, there will be going digging into scripture, that there will be prayer, um, that there will be fellowship, there will be all these things that are foundational for the church. And we would love for you to participate. Um, if, if we will put the locations um, out there, email and text, and um, show them on the screen next this next week. But we want you to go ahead and be aware that this is coming. We will have two groups that will be meeting. Uh, one will be kind of based in Dallas, 
and the other one will be based east side and kind of Rowlett area. East side, east side yes. <laughs> They're both technically east. Um, but uh, yes, we would love to have you participate. Most years, a really high percentage of our church participate in these gatherings. And so uh, just want to make, make strong mention of this, uh, that's happening. And then the other major kind of announcement point that I want to uh, mention is, um, and all of these things are covered, is that we, uh, how many of you have taken a look at this? The calling, uh, calling document. Our hope as a church is not that we get a whole bunch of uh, things to figure out for people to do here, but that we release a whole bunch of people into who they're called to be in Christ. And that's what Paul says he contends with all of his energy strenuously to do, that every person be made fully complete in Christ. That's the goal of this, is for us to, is for us as a people to be those fully walking in who God has called us to be. And we have a writing workshop to finish this out. Where this is going, and I've shared this, but I want to make one really quick mention of this. Where this is going is that we, uh, we uh, will finish, there's three sections we're writing on how we're called to be his, how we're called into community, and we're called to bear fruit. And we will finish this by helping people form a prayer that will be that will be specific, unique, grounded in truth about who God has called us to be, and we we want people to walk away with some sort of prayer they can go back and reflect on about who God is shaping them into, and so that's what we will be focused on in that writing workshop is writing that prayer, and that is February seventeenth, twelve to two, and. Yes, so put that down on your calendar. You should be able to take this home and have everything. And yes, that is all. We'll probably recover some at the end. I, uh, Zane's going to be sharing this morning. I want to tell you something um, about Zane and Tiffany. Um, I actually wrote a little bit in the Calling Writing Project about how God connected me to Zane. We grew up in the same private Christian school, and in our private Christian school, I've shared this before, it's, it was a Church of Christ school, which they don't allow instruments, May some even contend that clapping in church was a sin, um, and so coming from like an assembly of God, <laughs> amen, <laughs> can I get an amen out there? <laughs> um, so, so coming from like a more charismatic Pentecostal background, we did, we did, we did not fit in. And I can remember, it's a very weird thing, but I can remember having to defend elements of my own faith as early as third grade with teachers and students. And, and so that is cool. That's a cool thing, though. Like That was a beneficial thing for me. And uh, Zane was the one other person that I knew of going to a church like mine. He was in the grade below me. That's all, like, we probably said six lines to each other through the duration of our school because in our school, I don't know, yours grades do not intermingle. And so I just distantly acknowledged there's the one other guy uh, who's enduring the same thing I'm enduring. And I, I decided, I don't know, a number of years ago, I guess this is probably 15 years ago, 
that I was going to go to one Dallas Christian homeschool home football game. If you, if you want to feel really awkward, <laughs> go to your alma mater home, home, or sorry, home, homecoming uh, uh, football game. It just, it just makes you feel like you shouldn't be there, that you're an adult, and that you should have moved on with life at this point. Um, I remember one of my, my high school football coaches telling us at Dallas Christian, he was our running back coach, and he told us one time before a game, he said, boys, if I could suit up tonight, I'd die tomorrow. And at, <laughs> at 18 years old, I was mature enough to have a realization that that was weird. <laughs> and... <laughs> Got your priorities a little out of line here. <laughs> so I went to this football game, felt very awkward standing around, and I started talking to Zane on that on that on that one game, and we decided to grab lunch. They decided to come over and be a part of Clear Path. And you know, as as small as Clear Path is, it was much smaller then. And um, I want to tell you something, though, like Zane and I and, and Tiffany and Andrew and I have been through a lot together. And you have to understand their commitment to pastoring and leading this body into who, what it's called to be, which I believe the, the, the best days are yet ahead of our community. And I can remember a couple years in, while we're like... Not much had changed, and a, a church of many thousands had asked them about coming to lead worship, and they said, no, we feel like we're placed for, for God has for us. And over the years, they have made many sacrifices for this community. Um, I don't know if, if you, know, you know this, but Zane and Tiffany have a successful business, and you know, it wasn't always that way. They, they were on a church salary that was that was very limiting and didn't make life easy. Wasn't I don't I'm gonna blame it on myself. It's just small church like and um, Zane used to sit back here in this booth all day and lose his mind. And uh, but when when they started being successful, he didn't step out of like all the roles of pastoring and overseeing and helping were still in present, and they felt like, they, uh, they, they didn't give me permission to share this, but I'm going to share it anyway. Um, they they uh, made a decision, like when we were transitioning some things, to forego having a salary which they were fully entitled to receive. And so I want you to understand that they have turned down better offers, they have gone through suffering, they have laid their finances before the Lord, and they have not done any of this in ways that would lead to personal gain, but for the gain of this community. And so, um, over, I don't know, it's been four or five years that we felt like we needed to bring Zane in officially as an elder on the board, not just like uh, in staff. And over the last year or two, like there has been an increasing transition of, of him and Tiffany both, um, him more functionally, um, 
serving in the role of an overseer. Now, what is an overseer? The scripture gives us guidelines of what an overseer is to be, and it's elements of integrity and character and selflessness, and I won't, I won't get into those things. But, but what Zane is doing in many cases is pastoring people, helping our staff work through various things, and they just have a heart and an understanding of the DNA of this community that's very unique and special. Um, as, they, as we are in a transition of moving to a new space, we're seeing very fruitful ministry come in the area, seeing people come to know Jesus, like God, I believe, is elevating their leadership in this house. Not that it hasn't already been elevated, but I feel like that it is even more so elevated. And I just want to acknowledge that this isn't just like somebody or a people who are on staff doing something for this church. This is These are people who have continually laid everything down for the Lord and for this body. And I want, I want us to all have a sense and acknowledgement of their role as overseers and leaders in this body because it's not just me. I'm not the sole, uh, like the Lord is the ultimate responsibility, but I'm not the sole person leading, making decisions. Um, their influence is, is great and has been, has been paid for at, at a real price. And I just, uh, I don't know. I want to honor you guys. You've been extremely, extremely, extremely faithful. And you've been as, as faithful of a friend as you have been. Fr faithful friends as you have been in, in leaders. And um, you deserve a lot of honor. You deserve what scripture says, a double portion of honor. And so I just want us to honor them this morning. Zane is going to share. I want you guys to stand. And I want you to find a way, hold on. <laughs> I want you to find a way to tell them thank you and bless them because they're doing all of this because they love the Lord and they love this community. And so, honors due. Amen? Amen. All right. I'm going to stop talking. Let, let Zane share. And, uh, yes. Love you guys. Thank you. That is very honoring. I could preach every week if you want. I mean, <laughs> you could do like that intro thing. No, I'm just kidding. Well, I do, uh, I do love you very much, and you, Andrea, and, and all of you. I mean, it's wild that we've been here for 15 years or so. For those of you who want to know the rest of the story of how we ended up here, it was, it was much, very supernatural. So, um, but since we've, uh, I'm not going to tell it this morning, but since we've been here for about 15 years, like, I, it's crazy. I mean, when we came here, I was, we came here on the day that I turned 22. And like, I mean, it's like almost our whole adulthood, you know? 
like we've lived a whole life with a lot of you. And so um, the amount of love is immense, which goes really well, actually, with what I'm talking about this morning. But um, you know what? Before I even get into speaking this morning, um, I actually want to make kind of a, an apology. And I, I probably won't even do this apology very well. Um, so just go with me. Um, you know, this morning as we were as we were singing some of the songs that we were singing, there were a couple lines that were that were sung during the time that I was like, you know what, I don't really agree with that line theologically. Like it didn't fully sit with me. And I'll t- I'll tell you what one of them was in a second. But I want to make this clear. This is not on these guys for for like their song choice or anything like that. It that's on me. Like I, I have access to the songs that are gonna be sung. I didn't like go take do my due diligence and go like, oh, well, you know, sometimes there are things that I agree with the spirit of them, but I don't agree with all the details of them or all the exact truth of them. So like, for example, one thing that we sang this morning, I'm telling you this because I think it's really important that everyone here knows that we are intentional and care that we speak truth and that we sing truth. Because when we, what we sing gets in our heart, right? And that, that's why we sing these songs together is to get these things in our heart. So... There was a line in the song that says, um, no amount of untruth can separate us. And I was thinking about that as we started to see it, and I thought, that's not exactly accurate. You know, like, it, there is, like, I agree with the heart of the matter. I don't think that God's sitting there, like, making a list of everything that you believe that's wrong. And I don't think that God is trying to relationally separate from you because of it. But it is important what you believe. There is an amount of untruth that can separate you from God because you're no longer worshiping or having a relationship with the real God. So I'm not going to go through and like pick apart every song and say like, oh, well, I didn't agree with you know, this line and this line. But what I want to tell you is like, like we will, when things like that happen, we try to address it behind the scenes and go like, oh, let's be more careful about this. We want to sing truth. And actually the first thought I had when I woke up this morning out of bed um, I'm speaking a little bit today about the, the subject matter of the Trinity. And I had some more things in my notes. And I woke up and went like, I felt, I felt the fear of the Lord when I woke up. And I thought, you know what? Like, I'm about to teach a bunch of people how to, how to follow God and how to know what's true about God. And I need to be really careful with what I speak. Because if I was someone who has a microphone tell you something about the Lord... That, that is not accurate about him. Like, I'm responsible for that. And so I just want you guys to know that we care about theology. We care about not only spirit, that we encounter God's spirit and that we worship him fully with our hearts and with our minds and our souls, all these things. But we care that we also get it right. Like, we need to worship in spirit and truth, and that's super important to me. So I want to apologize to you guys that sometimes things sneak by that we just don't notice because the heart is right. And we go, oh, you know what? Like, that probably wasn't something that we should have said or sung. And those things get addressed. So that's all I want you to know is that we're intentional and we care. Um, I don't know the right way to to go about saying that, but I think it's important that you all know. Um, All right, well, I'm going to move forward and, and talk a little bit about community. I told Jason, by the way, before I said that, that I was going to call it out. I was like, hey, man, 
I know you were the one who sang this, but I'm not calling you out. This is on me. Um, I love you, Jason. Um, all right. Called to community. That's what I'm going to talk about today. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. I want to give you some thoughts about being devoted to community. Jordan has been discussing lately our calling, and he's given us this writing opportunity that he just talked about. And these questions are centered around three parts. That we are, are, we are called to belong to God, that we are called into community, and that we're called to bear fruit. So today, I want to construct both a biblical case and a, a personal plea to persuade you not only is community part of your calling, but I don't believe that you can fully embody any of these three callings that we're talking about without submitting yourself to community. I don't think you can do it right. We don't want to miss anything, so let's start in Genesis. Y'all cool if we do every book of the Bible today? <laughs> Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. From the very beginning, as is made even more clear throughout the rest of the scripture, and as you can read there, the Trinity are together in creation. Notice he didn't say, I will make mankind in my image. He said, let us make mankind in our own image. Father God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are discussing and working together to make man. I speak with significant fear, legitimately, in explaining the Trinity because it's, it's difficult. So this morning, I decided to keep it really basic. We believe that God's nature is one unchanging essence, but three distinct uncreated persons. Okay, I'm going to say that again because it's the simplest way that I know how to say it, at least succinctly. We believe that God's nature is one, one God, one unchanging essence, yet three distinct uncreated persons. This is what I want you to get from this. I'm not just being theological for the sake of being theological. God is one, yes, but his nature is community. Community is built into who he is. He is inherently communal. God literally does all things, created all things, and makes his decisions in community. This is the mystery of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one, yet always in community with one another. And we know that we are created in God's image. We are called to reflect his nature, and his nature is community. It doesn't take very long in the scriptural narrative before the idea of togetherness becomes more clearly important. In Genesis 2, God says, it is not good for man to be alone. So God goes to work solving this problem by creating a woman. And then he gives man a command to help him continue to solve this problem. He says, be fruitful and multiply. 
fill the earth and subdue it. See, the intention of this world was for it to be full of a people who bear God's image and work together to accomplish his will. You guys with me? God created us to be part of his family. And he uses family and adoption language throughout the entirety of scripture to make it clear to us that when we are saved, we are saved into something, his family. That's right. The scriptures lean even further into this by establishing patterns. See, God tends to work in people by working in families and claiming them as his own. Think of his promise to Abraham and all of his descendants. Think of how one man's family was tasked to being the only priest for the whole nation of Israel. He also often works in groups and cities and nations. Think of the New Testament churches or the nation of Israel. We get to follow their whole path throughout scripture. And as we continue throughout scripture, we learn one of God's, we learn one of God's most defining characteristics. God is, see, you all know it immediately. God is love. In fact, it says that anyone who does not know love does not know God. And I've heard many people try to make a case that I can be just as close to God if I don't go to church, I'm not part of a community, I can just go off. I, man, I pray all the time. Like, you should, like I, spend, I spend seven hours a day in my prayer closet, but I don't, need, I don't need community. You can try to make a case. Yeah, you can, sure, be close to God by just being with God all the time and having no involvement in a Christian community. But is this true? How can we learn to love if we are alone? How can we love without another to love? And I know what maybe the next thought in your brain could be. Maybe you would try to say that you can learn to love God, and you'll learn to love yourself, and that's how you'll learn to love. And in part, this is true. In part. But the Bible describes love as patient and kind. You can put that scripture up there, Chris. It's not envious. It's not boastful. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. This is the way that the Bible describes love, and God is love. Look at that list of descriptors and tell me how you would learn to love without another person. How would you do it? How do you love to be patient if you don't have anything to be patient about? How do you learn to not be full of yourself if, if there is no one else around for you to act prideful toward? How do you, how do you learn to not become angry if no, one, if no one gets under your skin a little bit? Of course, you know what? You're probably doing great. If you isolate, you're probably doing great at keeping no record of wrongs. <laughs> Congratulations. We cannot be like God if we choose not to lean into community. God is communal, and he is love, and you can't do it. And this is not only my inference from the scripture. You could think I'm reading into that a little bit. But in other places, the Bible gets really straight to the point. It, 1 John says, if you do not love your brother 
who you can see. You cannot love God who you do not see. We become love together. We fulfill God's mission to be accurate imagers of his nature together. We not only become a picture of heaven on earth for all to see, but we actually become an accurate, albeit imperfect, picture of God himself for all to see. The New Testament presses into this idea. It calls us the body of Christ. And we know that Christ is the perfect image of the Father, right? Romans 12. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, pray in solitude, belonging only to God and not to each other. Oh, my bad. I, I was reading a different translation, one that doesn't exist. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Oh, man, each member belongs to all the others. Some people aren't going to like this one. Most of us have grasped the idea that, like, okay, yeah, like, I get the idea there's this big God, my life isn't my own, my life belongs to God. But what if you don't only belong to God? What if you belong to the person that you're sitting next to right now and the person across the room from you right now? What if you belong to a body and your whole life is accountable to them? What if you weren't designed? I'm, I'm going to step on a few toes, I promise. <laughs> I know you were worried that I might not step on any toes today. I will. What if you weren't designed to make all your own decisions? What if leaving a church or changing careers or figuring out how to deal with a problem wasn't just a private family decision? But what if it was done in loving communal discussion with wise advisors and people who actually care for you? Community shapes us. We are shaped into holiness, yes, by God, but also by each other. If we want to be the image of God to the world, we have to be constantly refined and molded, and community is a main tool that God uses to do that molding. That's good. Hebrews 10 says it this way. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. There's a reason that this is talked about so bluntly. I mean, the first reason is because some are in the habit of not meeting together. But the reason that it requires frequent, intentional decisions... Um, 
It requires frequent intentional decisions to live in proper community as God designed, and we need it. That's why it's being talked about here. I need you, my friends, to spur me on toward love and good deeds and to remind me that God is faithful when I start to sway a little bit. Because sometimes I get selfish or I get distractible or I get discouraged. And you understand the main, the main encouragement here in the scripture, it says to be unswervingly hopeful. Unswervingly hopeful. And the method that it tells us to use in order to achieve this is by meeting together regularly and encouraging each other. Do you guys know what is really, really hard to do? To be unswervingly hopeful. <laughs> like, not even a little bit. Like, don't even swerve a little. Don't get off, don't get your hope off course, even a tiny bit. Being unswervingly hopeful is really hard, and I can guarantee you that I cannot do it by myself. Life is difficult. And I mean, I'll say it this way. Life is super frustrating some days. And I'm just talking about normal days. Just, just normal, regular days. I'm not talking about when something big happens, like when you have a, a sudden money problem or you have a big fight with your spouse or whenever you suddenly lose someone that you love. But even before that, how can we get it right on those days when we, when we can't even, like, we can't even get it right because it's Thursday and I woke up and I feel grumpy. <laughs> Y'all ever do this? Like, am I the only person who sometimes you just like walk up and you're like, I just, I just feel bad. <laughs> Today doesn't feel good. I'm just trying to be real. Like, like we, we focus on these big issues, but like, do you guys ever think to yourself, like, I don't have any good reason to be unhappy today, but I'm really just unhappy. I just feel so bad right Anybody? Yep. Yeah, okay, good. I thought I had a problem for a second. <laughs> I mean, we have, we have weird body chemistry and, I don't know, electrolyte imbalances and all these little insignificant things that would make life hard even if you don't have a hard life. And some people do have a hard life. And from the small things to the big tragedies, I can't do life without losing hope unless the people in this room help me. And I would be willing to bet that you probably can't either. So here my encouragement, along with the writer of Hebrews that we were just reading, don't give up meeting together. Meet with someone most days, okay? Hear me out. Some of you are immediately throwing up objections. Meet with someone most days. Even if all you can do is jump on Zoom prayer for 15 minutes, or maybe all you can do is take, the, take 15 minutes on your drive home from work and call somebody. Five minutes, I don't care. But like, meet together, be together. We need each other. And I promise if we do this, we will all live with more hope and exhibit more faithfulness. That's good. Ecclesiastes 4 says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him. That's a cool phrase. But woe to him. 
Sounds like Lord of the Rings or something. Yeah. <laughs> you shall not pass, whatever. Woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. It's bad. Have you ever been depressed because of a tough moment in life and then you tried to crawl out of that emotional hole on your own? You ever done this? I've done it. Man, that's hard. And you can try for years without succeeding. Literally years. Woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. That's true. And what about when we're sick? Or when we fall into sin and we feel all caught up in our mistakes? Well, James tells us what to do about that. He says, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. It's pretty cool. Tells you what to do. And then take it one step further. Look what happens if you start to wander away from a solid faith. This is possible, guys. Even if you think you're super solid in your faith, in your theology, whatever. This is possible. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Guys, hear my heart today. Community isn't just a luxury. It's a need. In isolation, we can have small or major problems in our character that go unchecked and even unnoticed. People with an outside perspective can see things often before you can. They can see what you can't and even recognize, like, say, a spiritual attack that's coming out, that's sneaking up on you. These things are real. To borrow from the shepherding analogies, Jordan has talked a lot about shepherding. This is what happens when a sheep gets isolated away from a flock and away from the shepherd. Wild animals sneak up and they attack it. What you need is people who are allowed to speak freely into your life, even when it isn't pleasant, so that you can see clearly. Look, you can be wholeheartedly pursuing God and you can get into some weird theology, and what you need is someone to throw up a red flag. Say, hey, dude, let's talk this out. If you're starting to get too cynical about trusting the Holy Spirit, I've been there. Things happen. We're not perfect. We start to get a little cynical and untrusting. What you need is someone to point it out and encourage you back in the faith. You know what? If you start gossiping about somebody in the church, what you need is someone to politely slap you in the face and tell you to stop. If you're having trouble with your spouse, you need a friend who will prod you to take responsibility for the problem rather than making accusations. These are the things we need. We're not that good at correcting ourselves. You need to change. And I need to change. And we probably won't look more like Jesus if we don't have Christ-like people around us 
helping us to see clearly. That's right. Furthermore, you need people around so that they can offend and upset you. Hold on. Don't get mad at me. Don't get mad at me. I like, a little, I like to build a little tension. Right, Daniel? I'm not saying that you should actually become offended or lose control of your emotions, but I am saying that people have serious problems and they will mistreat you. And what happens when you don't like a person's actions towards you is that your self-control, which comes from the Holy Spirit, will be tested. And when your inconsiderate friend mistreats you, you will find out if you're living from the Holy Spirit or out of your own flesh. Remember that love thing we read about? The one that it said is patient and not easily angered. One that keeps no record of wrongs. Listen, if, if God is love, then our flawed friends and family are just the secret sauce that we need to reveal whether or not we are living in his spirit. Yes. Amen. <laughs> you need to be around imperfect people so that you can realize your own tendency to be so moved by another person's imperfection. That way you can make efforts to be, stop being so offended, so upset, and so surprised. Why are we so surprised when people have issues? People always have issues. You need to stop letting other people provoke you into sin. That's good. We need to stop letting other people provoke us into sin and making excuses for it. Mm -hmm. I need to stop letting people provoke me to sin. Mm -hmm. Their sin does not give me the right to sin. Mm -hmm. Brothers and sisters, this is Galatians. If someone is caught in a sin... You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves. Are you also maybe tempted? Right. Tempted how? Tempted to be judgmental and respond in the flesh? Tempted to talk about that person? Tempted to hold resentment and bitterness in your heart and not lean into forgiveness? Instead, this is what it says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. That's a big one, isn't it? Instead of taking so much time to decide who was right and who was wrong, what if we just didn't compare and we didn't try to defend ourselves but instead, we tested our own actions. I can't control what you did or what you're going to do. But I can control what I do on the next try. Maybe I didn't do that one right. But I should test my own actions. So this is a big question and a big problem in 
pretty much any church body. How do we handle it when community goes wrong? What do we do when it's awkward and difficult to repair? I could read you all the scriptures one more time about what love looks like. And I thought about, you know, putting a bunch of scriptures in a list. But I, instead, I'm going to do almost the opposite. I'm just going to offer one personal thought. Change is only a requirement. Can you put this on the screen for me, Chris? Do you have this one? Change is only a requirement whenever the covenant between people decidedly refuses separation as an option. I tried to word this in the best way that I could to understand. We're going to talk about it for a second. Change is only a requirement whenever the covenant between people decidedly refuses separation as an option. Please understand that when I say this, I do realize that there are caveats to this truth, but there aren't very many. So for a minute, I'm going to speak in absolutes, okay? In the last few years, I've become very convicted of this truth. And this is one truth that I've, I actually have successfully lived this truth out for most of my life. I don't know if I can say that about most things, but this is one that I've lived. So if you come to me with a serious marriage problem, there is a really high chance that I'm going to ask you this question. Are you considering divorce as an option? Here's why I'm going to ask it. In my experience, if a couple is considering divorce, and they're already in a really problematic spot for fixing the marriage. Why? Because letting God change everything about myself and being severely humbled in order to save my relationship is not on anyone's, like, bucket list fun agenda. <laughs> it's not pleasant. Leaving is easier. Leaving is easier. And as long as you have plan B in your pocket, you probably won't feel fully required to do everything in your power to solve plan A. That's good. First, I'm telling you guys this. If you're having marriage problems right now, whether people know or whether they don't, please listen to me. Please hear my heart. Marriage isn't easy. We've had problems. First, though, first, decide that you won't separate. Then, instead of letting the accuser run wild in your mind, ask love himself, God, ask love himself how he's asking you to change and start taking action. Decide to take whatever beating is necessary on the way to reconciling your relationship. I mean that. Just decide, like, this is gonna, this is gonna be difficult, and this is gonna hurt, and it's gonna be a beating, and I'm, I'm begging you, Take the beating on the way to reconciling your relationship. Jesus already showed you the way to lay your life down. He showed us how to do it. This is what I mean when I say change. Change is only, it's only required if you've already, already decided that you're not going to separate. This is the power of community and commitment and covenant. It forces change. See, God isn't a God of scrapping relationships and starting over. 
He's a God of redeeming over and over and over when people have continuously chosen sin. God doesn't even want your sacrifice of worship until you've righted whatever problem your brother has with you. He says that in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, hey, stop whatever worship that you're about to give me. First, go and be reconciled to your brother who has a problem with you. Hear this. It didn't even say go and reconcile with the brother that you have a problem with. Because this is what we do. Oh, well, my heart's pure. I don't have a problem with him. He just has a problem with me. That's not what Jesus said. It's not what he said. He said, he said, stop trying to bring your worship, your gift, your offering. First, go and be reconciled to the brother who has a problem with you. And then you can come back and offer your worship. It's that important to God. You get it? If you guys can't tell, I'm really passionate about this subject. This stuff's important. So, the following is my stated choice on how I will live in community. It's not Solomon's words or John's words or Paul's words. You're not, I can't give you a Bible reference, so take it for what you will. I will not leave my wife. I will not leave my friends. I will not leave my church. I will likely mess up five million times. Probably will, and I'm sorry to all of you. I will be mistreated over and over and over. I have been sometimes, and I will be again. I will have hard conversation after hard conversation. But if we have committed our lives to each other, right, 15 years? If we've committed our lives to each other, I will not leave you. I may have to cry at the way that I acted towards you and ask forgiveness, but I'm not leaving. Never. It may be really awkward, and I don't care, because many of you have been my friends for five years or 15 years or 35 years. Some of you may be only months, but, but like we're, we're building a, a covenant relationship. And the life that we bring to each other is not ever worth giving up because one of us couldn't control our emotions. Please hear me. I'm, I'm so not perfect. I'm, I'm not a super apostle. <laughs> I don't have all this down. But my life has been changed and transformed because of you. Because I didn't leave and because you didn't leave. And the years have a way of polishing, slow though it may be, and we're conformed into the likeness of Christ. If you have never committed your life to a group of people with that kind of tenacity, then I'm talking to you. If you have spent years trying to find people that will agree with you, if you've removed yourself from community, time and again because people hurt you. I'm sorry, but I beg you to change your policy. Jesus is coming back for a beautiful bride. And the Spirit is changing us as the friction of my iron sharpens yours. If you commit to the same people for the next 20 years, there will be a multitude of sins Count on it. 
But love covers over a multitude of sins. That's what the scripture tells us. I promise you will be holier. You will be wiser. You will be more genuinely encouraged in your faith if you simply pick a group of people and you stay in covenant. Community bears fruit. John 13, 34. Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let's talk for one last minute about the way that Jesus taught. He seemed to have a plan for bearing fruit. And he didn't outline all of it with his words. He did outline it with his own life. He tried to sum it up, it seemed, in moments in certain ways when he told the apostles things like, make disciples of all people. But let's look at how Jesus made disciples. He spent a lot of time with them. He lived with them, day in, day out. The disciples had no idea what they were in for in the beginning, but they watched and they learned. They asked questions, even really bad questions. After a good amount of talking and life sharing, then Jesus told them to go and try to do what he had been doing. So they tried to replicate his ministry with his supervision, and then he would correct them. And they took correction when they didn't do it right. Even when the correction was tough to swallow, they took it and learned, and eventually, eventually, they were walking around healing sick people on accident with their shadows. Pretty cool move. <laughs> they didn't start healing people with their shadows. They started messing everything up and living community and just not separating until, they, until God taught them. We need this. If we want to bear fruit, and if we want to see new disciples made, then we have to be made into effective disciples. This takes a lot of time. It takes trial and error. It takes a lot of surrounding yourself with people that you can learn from and, and being really humble humble with each other, submitted to each other. That's a word the Bible uses a lot, submitted to each other. Sometimes we don't want to submit to each other, do we? But this is the kind of life that we're called to. Let's finish with John 17. It's Jesus' prayer. I pray for those who will believe in me that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Let there be no separation between us because there's no separation in God. There's only complete unity 
And this unity is required to live a healthy life for holiness and for fruitfulness. We can't walk alone. I want to give you just one minute of quiet. And I want you to just pause and I want you to ask God what steps that he's asking you to take today, this week. And then um, I'll invite you in just a minute to come and take the elements for communion. How many of you were encouraged, challenged, blessed by that word? That was an incredible word. Um, So when I honored Zane and Tiffany at the beginning of this time, I I mean, I knew he was going to talk about community, did not know exactly what he was going to talk about. I'm going to be honest with you, Zane sent me this week, like, some sort of snapshot of some notes he was thinking. He was like, which direction are you going? I did not read them at all. (laughs) (laughs) I simply sent back, whatever you feel like the Lord's doing, man, I'm not not a a sermon reviser. I mean, you think. It's actually, that's a good thing. Um, but I want you to know, so there's this, there's this thing that the Lord showed me um, some years ago. One time I had some people, they, they were uh, bothered at me. I don't know. They didn't feel that I was vulnerable enough about something. And, uh, and the Lord showed me, and I listened and prayed and talked, and the Lord showed me that that sometimes people are bothered because they're, they're offended at the breakthrough of, of freedom that's in your life. And they want you to be worse than you are so that they feel okay. That being said, I have encountered my worseness quite a lot, too. And so, so this, is what the Lord, this is what the Lord showed me. He's like, there's some things that I'm going to have you preach on that you have really well embodied, as Paul says, I, I bring to you what you've seen and heard in me. There's some things that you're going to have to preach on that you're going to have to come up and admit like you're not doing this well. Does this make sense? So I have to live, as if I'm going to teach weekly as a pastor, I have to live in teaching things that are aspirational values and teaching things that are embodied values. Um, you know, I can tell you, I can give you the, the list of, of, of the ways that Zane has annoyed me. Um, but this is, this particular thing is the thing they have embodied as a family. A resolute commitment to covenant with God and with people and with each other. And so like what you've heard today is somebody releasing an anointing for something. And if you're offended, it's likely because it, this thing hasn't been made perfect in you. So you can be offended at the word or you can go... God, there's a grace on their life that I need. Just like that there's a grace on your life that we need. Does this make sense? Different ones of us are going to have been made more perfect in certain things earlier in our life because there's a grace over us for that thing. And so I just want to let you know, there is, when somebody has embodied something, there is an anointing for me to transform under the anointing of their ministry and their grace. When, when, the, when the 
disciples, I've heard uh, Bill Johnson preach on this, when the disciples went out and healed people under his ministry, they were healing under the anointing that he operates within. And so I believe that there is grace to receive that anytime I'm with somebody, I can receive a measure of the grace that's on their life. And so I just want to pray that, that, that as we've heard this word, that there would be a release in us. And I'm, gonna, I'm gonna, actually going to ask you that as we take communion, that there's, there's a faith that there's something new entering in you. The, the mystery of communion is that we are sharing in Christ's body and his blood and that, and that we are like the broken bread itself, many pieces making one loaf. And so I, I, uh, I want to pray over this. I want to pray over these elements. I want to pray this morning that as we receive, we will receive the anointing to be those people who bring unwavering hope to others in our commitment to community. And, and as, as I said, there are always, there's always caveats not with everything, but with many things. Um, but, the, but the spirit of this truth of, of, of commitment and faithfulness to love is, is, is right. And so let's just bow our heads. Lord, I pray that as we receive these sacramental elements that, that bring us to the knowledge of Jesus, that in this time there would be a faith released in us to become one with you and one with each other to become one with you and one with each other. I pray exactly as Jesus prayed in John 17 as he, as he was leaving the earth that, you, that we might become one with you and one with each other. Lord. I pray there would be an anointing on this body particularly for oneness right now in Jesus' name. That there would be a oneness and a willingness to work through offense, to work through hurt, to work through difficulty, not to separate, but to connect and to forgive and to re-forgive, forgive, forgive as many times as necessary. Lord, release oneness, God, as we receive these elements today. Lord, we love you. We bless you. We receive by faith that this is more than just an act. It is it is something supernatural as we engage with you in prayer and with communion. We hope you enjoyed this episode from Clearpath Church in Dallas, Texas. If you'd like more info to visit us on a Sunday morning or to subscribe to our newsletter, check us out at www.clearpathdallas.com. Follow us on Instagram at Clearpath Dallas. Thanks for listening. service, there you are, Andrew Schmidt encouraged me about like sharing, he's like, I see you like sharing stuff that you've written and like different stuff.
So I wrote this thing really short. This is literally how long it is. It's like one stanza, so don't want to freak out. Um, context for this, which unfortunately this will resonate with some people in the room potentially, but the context for this was this was in 2022 um, after we had just had like the second miscarriage in a row. And um, I was up late one night and I was just like praying. I felt so frustrated, like, toward God, and, like, that all, like, wraps in with community and, and all this stuff. So I wrote this to God, but I was thinking about what you are preaching and, like, something that you said that I was like, oh, actually, like, this kind of mirrors my feelings toward this body, too. So I wanted to share it. It's called, I love you, I'm not leaving. I love you, I'm not leaving. Through sleepless nights and tired eyes, through doubt, I'm believing. Through grace that sings like lullabies, your love I'm receiving. Through friends that lie, and kids that die, and desperate cries, and second tries, through anything that comes in life, I love you. I'm not leaving. So, anyway, I love all of you. I know people are going through hard stuff. Um, we're here for you. Like, this body is like a family. So, 